This week's episode of One Shot is brought to you by Emporium. Emporium's three Chicago land locations combine the best things in life arcade games, craft beer, and live events. Check out EmporiumChicago.com slash CPC for a free drink or game tokens. Hello, cuties, and welcome to another romantic episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your Game Master. Or at least, normally I'm your Game Master. This week, I'll be stepping aside so game designer Sarah Richardson can show off her game, Bluebeard's Bride. Now, I have a couple notes before we get started on Bluebeard's Bride. The first is that Bluebeard's Bride is not solely the design of Sarah Richardson. She collaborated with Whitney Strix Beltrain and Melissa Kelly to create this apocalypse-powered feminist horror game. The second is that this is one of the most capital H horror games that we have ever featured on One Shot. Bluebeard's Bride is about confronting players with some truly awful things and investigating them to their fullest extent. For that reason, I have to put a trigger warning on some of the content and imagery in this game of Bluebeard's Bride. Self-inflicted harm, sexual assault, and truly gory violence are all core themes in Bluebeard's Bride. These are subjects that I personally tend to shy away from when I run games at my table. However, the three women behind Bluebeard's Bride have put a lot of thought and careful design into this game. And if you're willing and able to explore that horror, Bluebeard's Bride does a fascinating job of exploring gender politics. This game easily supports any argument for game design as artistic expression. Bluebeard's Bride is a truly exceptional game. If you're a fan of the horror genre, I recommend it. That said, I want to reiterate, there is a trigger warning for this episode. The subject matter of Bluebeard's Bride is rough, and this episode is no different from any other play session of Bluebeard's Bride. With that said, let's thank some of our backers on Patreon. Kyle Perkis, thank you. Sandeep Williams, thank you. Thanks, Sandeep. Wesley Farber, thank you. John Rogers, thank you. Michael Richards, thank you. Mike Perriera, thank you, Mike. Alexander, thank you. Bruce Curd, thank you. Thanks, Bruce. Phil Groff, thank you. Matthew Ham, thank you so much. Martin Fassen, thank you. Alex Lasher, thank you. Anthony D'Amato, my grandfather, and that's also uh, the same card that's my grandmother's card, so thank you guys both so much. Again. Karen Birch, thank you. Thank you, Karen. Mike and Catherine Donahue, thank you so much. Guys, thank you. Ken D'Amato, thanks, Ken. Which one's Ken? Ken's my Uncle Ken. He's my dad's little brother. Aw, thanks, James's Uncle Ken. You know how we assign ourselves roles from, like, TVs and movie shows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so my dad and brother were assigned Jerry and George in their little friends group. Aw. It's because my poor Uncle Ken is bald. Uh, Rich Howard, <laughs> Rich thank you. Howard. We love you, Rich. Not enough thanks in the world for Rich. He's in the water in his picture. Oh, Rich, how dare you do that? It's full of monsters there, Rich. Uh, Oh, recently on the show, Rich, we went underwater. We did that for you. And with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, heroes, let's meet our party for this week. First up is a voice that's familiar to you all, Cat Cool. Hey, James. Welcome back, Cat. Thanks for having me. This is two series in a row. Is it? Yeah. 
Cool. Because you're, you were just on with It Was a Mutual Decision. Oh, my. And now we are continuing the Valentine's Day fun <laughs> with Bluebeard's Yeah, Bride. Yeah, I feel the tone on this is probably going to be slightly different than the I last game. Uh, it Was a Mutual Decision ended with uh, murder-suicide. Yeah, but so. it also had a scene where people were vomiting a lot. Okay, that's probably not going to happen this game. Or if it does, it's going to be horrific. A different type of vomiting. Because Bluebeard's Bride is based on one of the spookier fairies tales. Uh, what's a spooky fairy tale that you liked growing up? Oh, interesting. Okay. So this one's spooky in terms of like an element of output, not in terms of the content. I really like Little Goose Girl. Little Goose Girl. Which, uh, it's, it's kind of a Cinderella type tale, but it ends with the villain of the tale being, uh, rolled down a hill in a barrel full of nails. What? And like, as a kid, uh, that tracked, you know, like that was fine. And, uh, and that's why it's scary to me now because there are just these things in it that's like, that's not okay. That's not how the justice system works. No, uh, but that's how the justice system often works in fairy tales because they're about some, Larger social things than just what's on the page. <laughs> All right. Well, let's turn to another familiar voice uh, to folks who have listened to One Shot before, and that would be Nathan Paletta. Hello, hello. Nathan, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be back. It's been a minute. It has been a hot minute. We have slept on inviting you onto the show, I think, for too many occasions. Uh, so I'm glad to have you back in the studio. Uh, Nathan, is there a spooky fairy tale that you like? So the first thing I thought of, I don't remember the actual story, but just the image of the the woman with the scarf, that when she takes Mm. the scarf off, her head falls off. I don't remember the context for that story, but that's the first thing I thought of because I remember that from, a, I think, like a PBS dramatization of some kind when I was a kid, seeing that in some kind of weird public uh, television (laughs) animated thing. I don't think it was on Wishbone. But, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, that's really stuck with me. And I think that is tonally kind of the right headspace for where this game is going. Yeah, let's, let's definitely encourage this headspace. Cause I, this is definitely going to end up being one of the more serious and, and scariest games, uh, that we're, we're having on the show. Uh, I'm a little nervous for it because usually, uh, scary role playing games get in my head. And the person who is going to be sinking her tendrils into my head today is our designer for, or one of the designers for Bluebeard's Pride, and that is Sarah Richardson. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Sarah, this is your game, and I assume that there's going to be a little bit of setup for it, so I think I'm going to turn everything over to you. Though if you want to talk about a scary a spooky, fairy tale. <laughs> if you have another spooky fairy tale that you love, uh, please feel free to share it with the audience. Well, that's actually really funny because my favorite scary fairy tale is distantly related to Nathan's. Mm. So in the juniper tree, there is a little boy that his his stepmother uh, kills him by putting his head in a chest and slamming it down and he becomes beheaded. So she ties his head back on with a ribbon. So his sister pulls the ribbon and thinks she killed her brother. But he turns into a bird and lives in the juniper tree outside the house and helps his little sister eventually get rid of the terrible, terrible stepmother. Wow. I just want to point out to everybody listening that everyone else in the room nodded sagely when she said (laughs) the juniper tree because they have parents who are horrifying (laughs) and clearly read this as a bedtime story to them. Okay, well, I'm ready to jump in. I am super excited about this. All right. Uh, well, Bluebeard's Bride, uh, is being designed by myself, uh, Whitney Strix Beltran. 
I'm sorry, I always mispronounce your last name, Strix, and uh, Marissa Kelly. So the way the game starts is the first thing I do is I tell you the story of Bluebeard. Cool. (laughs) Once upon a time, there was a very lovely girl, and she came from a poor family. They lived on the outskirts of town, her mother and her brother. And one day, a gentleman came into town, a nobleman, looking for a wife. He was very ugly. His beard was blue. And there were rumors that he had had wives before, but no one knew what had happened to them. But he saw the girl and saw how beautiful she was and asked her family for her hand in marriage. He said he would take care of her family. And so she said yes. She married the man with the blue beard, and she went to his large house with him. Once they were there, he gave her all the keys to the house and told her to go explore, look through every drawer, open every door. It's your house. But do not go into my private chamber. And then he left on a business trip. So the girl went, and she looked at all the jewels and fine fabrics and all the beautiful things she never had at home. And she kept looking at that door. And finally, her curiosity got the better of her. So she put her her key in the, the door and opened it. And inside were the bodies of all of his former brides. Now, there are a couple of different versions of the story. But one of the more common ones is at this point, Bluebeard shows up. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And says, you know... Uh, I told you not to go in here. You should have listened to me. And then he raises his sword to behead her. At which point, her brother comes in and saves her. And Bluebeard runs away. In other versions of the story, her mother saves her. But in the original version, she dies. Now, the difference between the fairy tale and the game we're playing tonight is that you're all playing the bride. And you will be exploring the house in search of tokens that will indicate to you whether Bluebeard really loves you and is just misunderstood or if he is, in fact, a serial killer that you're in danger from. So first things first, you guys get to pick some characters. Okay. Because like I said, you're all in the same physical body and we have a mechanic for how to control that. But you do represent different parts of her mind. So you can choose from the witch, the virgin, the fatale, the animus, and the mother. So feel free to look at those and let me know what questions you have. Okay, bro. (laughs) (laughs) What? I think I want to take a look at the fatale. Mm. Yeah, go for (laughs) it. That's I've, Uh, I've been fortunate enough to see these sheets before. Yeah, I've I've actually played before. Has so has anything I'm, about them changed? Yes. Oh. So I'm not sure if I want to go for something I haven't played before or re- reprise. Um, we should also ask. Oh, and you do not need to look on the back of the sheets yet. Now that's ominous. <laughs> yet. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> the back of everyone's sheet is something super spooky. We're all in trouble are, already. Are you going to go with the Fatale? I am going to go with the Fatale. You're going for it? Yeah. Okie doke. What do you feel like playing? 
Um, I feel like we, with these other two, my my choice can either I can either turn into the skid or or go counter. Uh, but I think I'll go with the the animus. Cool. Which in this context is is, is turning into the skid, mm-hmm. <laughs> amping up. Well, it feels like yeah, it, it feels like the matched set since we didn't go maiden mother crone. Mm-hmm. Let's and do I've, the other thing. I played <laughs> I played the the mother most recently, which mm. was really uh really great. But I feel like I can try something else this time. Excellent. Now, uh, I'll have you introduce your playbooks in a minute. Uh, but first, we're going to be doing a little bit of wedding prep. And this is on your sheet on the left-hand side. Animus, would you mind reading your first question? My first question is, what are the bride's hands like? And what do others feel when they hold them? The bride's hands are rough and calloused from um, from from labor and and work. When others feel them, though they can feel the calluses, they can also feel the the strength and ability to do fine, dexterous things with them as well. And which? What is your first question? What is the bride's hair like? How do others like you to wear it? Our bride is young, and she has strawberry blonde hair. And uh, everyone in the town loves it for being unique and light and prefers her to wear it long and flowing. And Fatal. I have, what does the bride's mouth look like and how do others keep her quiet? Um, and I think it is thin and firm. Her lips are usually parsed tight. They are dry and somewhat cracked um, because she's outside most of the time. And how do people keep her quiet? I think it has been a lifetime of firm instruction and implied violence. Excellent. And let's go back the other way. Fatal, what's your second question? That is, what are you leaving behind from your provincial life to become Bluebeard's bride? Um, I think what she's leaving behind is the only life that she can conceive of, which is to say uh, she didn't spend much of her time thinking about what things are like in other places or imagining what things are like for rich or privileged people. She did the work that she had to do during the day and she slept at night and that's what her life was like. And when this new opportunity arose she's abandoning everything familiar and how do you feel about that i think anxiously excited probably um it's the sort of thing where you know she does love her family and care deeply about her family and that's why she's doing this she doesn't really foresee that much of a change of the way her life is supposed to work um you know even being the bride of a rich person simply because she never imagined that it would happen Um, so she has no conception of how things could improve for anyone, but the people that she's leaving behind. And which, what about your second question? I have the same question. Mm -hmm. What are you leaving behind from your provincial life to become Bluebeard's bride? And I think something that she does feel is going to change, uh, is that back at home, she was kind of in this period of learning, So learning instruments, uh, learning needlepoint, learning various things that are supposed to make you into a woman. And uh, that's kind of, it's time to, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, 
it's time to be those things. So, uh, it's a, it's an interesting transitional phase just in terms of not having instruction present in her life anymore. And animus, what are you leaving behind? Uh, <clears throat> we are leaving behind a tight knit extended family where every social occasion was one of uncles and aunts and cousins and nieces and nephews and you know just every everyone's kind of whether whether by blood or tradition related and everyone knows each other's story she's leaving that behind as well animus would you mind reading your third question what loving gesture did bluebeard make when you first met that won you over. Bluebeard used uh, the excuse of buying a tapestry to save the family business from insolvency. He basically, because it was so beautiful and because he found us so beautiful, he paid 10 times as much as it was worth. Excellent. How about you, Witch? What did Bluebeard do? He danced really well. He came to one of the... Uh, our town's public dances and uh, danced with everyone, which was kind of unexpected and uh, led very confidently and well and courteously. And it was fun. And you, Fatal? I think he looked me in the eyes when he spoke to me. Uh, save for members of my family, no man has ever done that. Which, what is the next question on your sheet? What gift did you present to Bluebeard before the wedding? Why did you choose this? So I think I presented to him a young tree. I'm a bit worried about getting wrapped up in somebody else's life. I uh, haven't really had a choice about that ever. Uh, but I feel that it's a very, very obvious sign <laughs> to, to plant it and take care of it and say, hey, I want to actually make something of this. So that's what I did. I gave him something that he needs to act on, an obligation. Animus, what was your gift? Once his intention became clear, I presented my hand for him to kiss, as I had not done that for anyone before. Why did you choose to give him your hand? Because it would be clearly short-sighted and selfish to reject this potential offer, this uh, intention that he was making very clear. I had to make sure to encourage it, lest... Uh, uh, some kind of hesitation as, like, rejection or something like that. Fatal? Well, being the fatal, I believe uh, I gave him my lips. And I gave them to him so that I could take something for myself as well. What did you take? I took his. And Fatal, do you trust your generous husband, Bluebeard? Or do you hold unkind suspicions? And why is that? I don't know if they're unkind suspicions. I'm telling you they um, are. Okay. <laughs> then, then, then be, you know, they are unkind suspicions uh, because this doesn't happen outside of stories that, you know, people stopped telling to me when I was very young. So I do think that this is an odd predicament that I find myself in. Animus? Yeah, I, I trust my generous husband because... We are clearly entering into a in, into a, an accord, a transaction, and it's very clear what he's giving up and what he wants. So I can I can do my part. And which? Absolutely not. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> because I'm good at finding things out, and uh, he's had past wives 
Mm-hmm. There have been rumors flitting about, and I have no idea why they are past wives. Uh, and as someone who's good at figuring things out, that is suspicious. It might be unkind, but it's there. All right. Next up, we're going to fill out your stats. On the right side of your sheet, you'll see that one of the stats have already been filled out for you. But you can fill in the other two with either a zero or a negative one. So your stats are blood, which is your connection to the horrific, carnality, your expression against the horrific, and resilience, your ability to tolerate the horrific. So I started off with a plus one in blood. Ditto. Um, And I filled in a zero in carnality and a minus one in resilience. Okay, then I'm going to trust my sisters. (laughs) And uh, I started out with a plus one in blood. So I'm going to take a minus one to carnality, but be kind of tough about things and take a zero to resistance. And I started with a plus one carnality. Resilience. And I went uh, minus one blood and zero resilience. Okay, so you guys have a pretty good spread. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be fine. (laughs) It's all going to be fine. What's the worst that could happen? (laughs) Uh, so now you're going to choose your burdens. Your burdens are your playbook's uh, specific individualized moves, and I do want you guys to notice that you do not roll to use these moves. They will just happen when you call them out. Now, it's up to you whether you want to disclose to the other players what your move is. You should not feel that you have to. And once again, I can answer any questions you have. So I, I I did make a selection, but I'm torn between two because I think they're both really fun. There is the spider, which allows me to trap an NPC with feminine wiles. I mean, that's just obviously fun. <laughs> but then there is the dancer, which allows you to entrance an NPC uh, to follow an order by removing a piece of clothing. And it gets even more in-depth because then I turn to the... Uh, it looks like uh, in the game, what is the game master called? Oh, sorry. I am the groundskeeper. The groundskeeper. So uh, it allows the groundskeeper to either neglect an important detail, require me to give something up in return, or I don't have to show my dominance or submission to them. So like there are a couple little tools to play with in there. Yeah. I don't know what we would want. I was inclined to go for... The rooster on the animus sheet, which is where I take trauma to give direct orders or warnings to NPCs. And then the groundskeeper selects uh, from my list about what they do about it, which could include attacking us. I think I'm going to then take the spider. Um, if yours has a list, then I'll keep mine simple. This is they, they can they can do it. They can freeze. They can back away or they can attack me. us, I should say. Mm, the thorn has just one ability that I think is going to be really fun narratively, so I am taking the thorn. All right. So, in most games, people choose to refer to each other as their sister and to use female pronouns, she and her. It is up to you if you want to do that or not. However, since you are playing one person, we have a bride sheet. <laughs> Ooh. And this contains two tracks. There is a track of faithfulness and a track of disloyalty. So as you go through each room, when you enter a room, you cannot leave until you choose a token. You can try to escape without taking a token, but there's normally a high cost. 
a token of faithfulness will you're saying that you're getting closer to proving your trust in your husband is well placed and it's how you heal one trauma. We will talk about trauma. <laughs> if you take a token of disloyalty, you're closer to proving that your unkind suspicions about your husband are true and you will take a trauma. So this sheet is where you will track each room we go through, which token you have chosen. So about that trauma. <laughs> <laughs> On the bottom of your sheet, on the right-hand side, you see there is a trauma track. And first, there's a little explanation, since this is a horror game. Trauma is mental as well as physical. The sister that provokes trauma can choose to take it alone. But if not, all sisters take trauma. The sister in control of the body must pass it. It must pass control if she takes trauma. Taking a token of faithfulness will heal one. And when a trauma track fills, the sister shatters. We have a mechanic to show who is in control of the body, and that is your wedding ring. So this will be passed around to each player. I assume for the listeners, it might be good to mention when you pass a ring. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll let you know who gets it first. So why don't we have you go ahead and introduce who you're playing? If you'd like to read the flavor text up there. And Fatal, do you want to start? You are the sister psyche of the bride, manifesting sensuality. Sex and intrigue are your domain, and you are hungry for the bride to experience more. The Animus. You are the sister psyche of the bride, full of masculine bravado. Physicality and cold logic are your domain, and you are driven to prove the bride's independence. I'm playing the witch. You are the sister psyche of the bride emanating transgression. Magic and power are your domain, and you seek to test the bride's limits. So now that you've introduced each other or introduced yourself, let's do our sisterly bonds. Let's start with the fatale. Okay. Uh, so, and I, I am incorrect in thinking that my sisters are these two yes. lovely uh, parts of my psyche right here. Yep. Uh, so the animus has no idea of a woman's true power. And I have to explain why I wish to teach her. Um, I see a lot of potential in the animus coming forward and I think being more assertive for herself. I feel, I feel that we could achieve great things together. And let's see, you try to draw in the witch with your seductive aura. Explain how I keep up the facade. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think that's fairly simple when dealing with the witch i know that the witch is cunning and shrewd so i show no signs of weakness in front of the witch because i know that she desires power okay animus let's do your bonds i am envious of the fatale explain how you can never compare to them while i i recognize the feminine mystique if you will that she uh you can't embodies. even say it i can't even say it yeah i just i just don't i don't i uh don't see myself in that role. Like, I don't see, I think the animus does not see the bride as like particularly sexy or physically exciting. So I'm envious of the fatalis. That's the part that I just don't understand or get. But I see the effect that it has on other people. Hence the envy. The witch, on the other hand, is the only one that I feel safe with. For it was she that calmed, calmed my rage when I think I had a, a, a bit of a breakdown when the actual marriage was to happen when everything was like scheduled and yeah. past the point of no return. And it was the witch who, with the, uh, the, the promise of this exciting new future and this potential like power that we can get from 
this new station in life and all that stuff. Yeah. That, that calmed me. And I like that it was a rage. Oh, it was a rage. We flipped out. There were broken, broken looms were involved. And which? My sisters are not nearly as important as power, but <laughs> uh, the fatale is a useful tool. Explain how she helped me in my pursuit of a blasphemous craft. <clears throat> the thing about the fatale is that people like her, and it is so easy to let her do that so that I can find out the things that I want to find out. Uh, people give us stuff when you're around. They give us like food, which is lovely, and sometimes they give us books. It's, to date, worked out. The animus draws an evil to her. Explain what you've done to keep that evil at bay. The animus doesn't... She doesn't strive enough and keeps getting us into this this tighter little box and that is the opposite of what i want so i mean the thing that i've mostly done to to keep that at bay is indicate to her uh, strength consistently i'm competent around her she's logical that works to our favor when i strive forward and do things there hasn't yet been enough of a, a like a, a firm pushback because she trusts that i can do things now, I just gave you all move sheets. And once again, there's no need to look at the back. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> moves. Terrible moves. <laughs> um, so there are three different kinds of moves. There are maiden moves, which anyone can make at any time. There are ring moves that you can only make if you have the ring. And then there is the exit moves that you make before you can leave a room. Um, one of the things you'll notice is most of the moves are diceless. We won't be rolling dice a lot in this game. Cool. There are only three that require dice. So let's go over your maiden moves. Any sister can use these moves and narrate the bride's actions. If a dis disagreement arises over what the bride should or should not be doing, the sister with the ring decides. When you care for someone, uh, this includes NPCs, you ease their suffering and bridle their horror, but they demand a demonstration of your sincerity. When you investigate a mysterious object, you can ask two questions from the list below. Whose item is this? What memories does this item hold? What about this item is odd or uncanny? And why did Bluebeard keep this item? When you read an emotionally charged situation by revealing a vulnerability, hold two. Spend your hold one for one to ask a question from the list below. If you share a personal fear with them, hold three. What desires drive the situation? What traps have been laid for the bride? What is demanded of the bride? And how can the bride end up on top of this situation? When you support or interfere with a sister making a role, mark one trauma to give them a plus one of support or a minus two to interfere. Do you guys have any questions about those? Your faces I, say yes. No, I, I, do, <laughs> I do have a mechanical question. Yeah. Uh, if, if we support or interfere... Does that also mean that we would all take a trauma if you chose not to Just take a the sister who is rolling the dice takes the trauma. Or, I'm sorry, I see what you're saying. Uh, only you take the trauma. Okay, so that is in... Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Cool. Because the normal rule is you can choose to, to keep it to yourself or we all suffer it. But so not So in then. this case, it's only you. So you can't take one to deal one, basically, if you wanted to be in that weirdo situation 
<laughs> see someone shatter, perhaps. Uh, I have a question about read an emotionally charged situation. Yes. Is that just NPC specific or does it have to do with sisters as well? Uh, pretty much none of the moves can be used against your sisters. Okay. That makes sense. As a general rule, you're just dealing with whatever you find in the house. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the ring moves. The ring is required to make these moves. If there is a disagreement about what the bride's action should or should not be, the sister with the ring will decide. After a sister makes a ring move, she must pass the ring unless stated otherwise. The sister who is passing the ring must decide who will be the next to receive it out of the sisters who have not yet had a turn. After everyone's had a turn, the ring can go to whoever you want. Now, this first move, you can call it on yourself, and I would encourage you to do so. (laughs) Otherwise, if I notice you reacting in a way, I may say that you are shivering from fear. Then you will name the thing you're most afraid will happen, and I will tell you how it's worse. (laughs) Keep the ring and choose two from below or pass the ring and choose one. Your options are it has the bride right now. It draws the bride in. There's no escape route or it curses you. Take one trauma. Just you, sister. Mm-hmm. Next up are our three moves uh, where you actually roll. When you caress a whore, roll plus blood. On a hit, the whore is swayed by your stroke and direct what was intended for you to another victim in the house. On a 7-9, it will shift its attention, but only if you participate in some way. When you dirty yourself with violence, roll plus carnality. On a hit, you inflict traumas established and choose one from the list below. You can disable them, silence them, or mutilate them. On a 7 and 9, choose one from below as well. Your vulnerability gives them an opening to inflict trauma, or your carelessness leaves you in a bad spot. You can cry out for help by declaring your inadequacies, and then you roll plus resilience. On a hit, the house servant will come to address your concerns and calm your hysteria. On a seven and nine, they will help you, but first they need proof of your loyalty to Bluebeard. Mm. You at any point may choose to voluntarily give up the ring, pass the ring to the next next sister. You're immune to trauma until that sister passes the ring. Any questions about ring moves? I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. And then, of course, there are the exit moves, and only the sister with the ring can make the exit move. To get a token before exiting, that sister must propose to the groundskeeper the truth of what they think happened, to whom, and why. So you can, as I said, attempt to escape without proposing a truth, and I will offer you a hard bargain or an ugly choice to do so. If you pay it, you do escape. When you propose a truth about a room, You describe the token you take that supports your interpretation of what happened here and mark it on the token track. Are we good there? Yeah. I think so. Now, I mentioned before we started, we will, of course, be uh, using the X card because this is a horror game and it doesn't normally end up addressing a lot of very adult themes. (laughs) Now, as a personal preference as a GM, if there are any larger subjects that you wish me to avoid... Uh, some some ones that have come up before, stuff like, please don't do anything to my eyeballs. Please uh, don't harm children. If there's anything like that, please feel free to let me know. I have a... I really don't like razors. Okay. Very important to know. Thank you. Do you have anything, Nathan? I prefer to avoid graphic depiction of violence to animals. 
in particular? Yeah, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> I feel like I would find out in the moment, and <laughs> I will have to use the X card appropriately when that comes up. Hmm? Okay. That's, I realized when I, when we did this last, I was like, I did not mention razors, right. and I am very scared of them. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, some- it didn't come up, so it was fine. <laughs> And and sometimes this game can be a, a fun way to explore stuff you are scared of. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, don't but, make us do taxes. <laughs> no. That, On that, Wii is different. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> being bored to death is not horrible. It's just bad. But what if you make a mistake, Nathan? What if you make a mistake? <laughs> oh, you haven't looked at the other side of your sheet yet. <laughs> oh, no. It's a W9. <laughs> Got to get our laughs in while we can. Yep. Uh, but please, do use the X card. Mm. We will immediately stop, rewind, and stuff will be taken out. Now that we know who's playing, it's time to get married. Oof. So it's your wedding day. You put on your finest dress that Bluebeard bought you, and you bind up your hair with flowers. At the ceremony, he kisses you very chaste, different than the kiss he gave the fatale before. And then at the reception... You sit alone at the high table drinking champagne while he talks to your guests, most of whom you don't know, but it seems like they're all talking about you and they seem to be giving you looks. Then he hands you into a carriage and the gas lamps on the outside of it are lit because night is drawing, but he hands you in the carriage and then he sits across from you with his side against the door and he just watches you on that long ride with the firelight reflecting in his eyes and off his blue hair. But he doesn't touch you. He just looks. And then the carriage stops and he hands you out. And in front of you is this enormous house. It towers over you. Three stories made of beautiful stone. The last light shines off the copper roof. And in front of you are a few stairs leading to a double door. As you walk up them, you look to the side and you see beyond the hedge that surrounds the grounds, the grass inside is dry and brown. And then you enter the house and Bluebeard closes the door behind you. It's very dark inside this entry hall. You can't see the end of it, but you think there might be stairs down there. There's a table in front of you. It's made out of highly polished wood, and it shines in the one lamp that's lit. On it is a letter, and Bluebeard reads it while the uh, coachman brings in your luggage. And then he turns to you. I am so sorry, my bride. I was so looking forward to our wedding night. But business is calling me away and I cannot stay. But here, have the keys to the house. Please look through everything. Make yourself at home. But do not go into the room in the Northwest Tower. That is my private chamber. And where I can find some rest from all the stresses of the world. It's my private area. Please do not go in there. I will be back soon, and we will have our wedding night. You will remember it for the rest of your life. 
Then he hands you keys and he turns and leaves. The door closes and you are alone in Bluebeard's house. You're a little bit drunk. Your shoes are far too tight and you hear rain begin to hit the roof. Now, the wedding present that pleased Bluebeard the most was the Fatals. <laughs> and she gets the ring first. So, Fatal, what do you want to do? And I would encourage you to talk amongst yourselves. Well, I suppose if we're going to have to live here, we have to find out where we're going to sleep. If I'm drunk and my shoes are tight, I at least need to change. You could just take off your shoes. That's true, but I'm not going to just take off my shoes and my new household like that. I, I, I've got to settle in. We must have a maid or a body servant or something. Call, call for her. That's new. So you said there was a footman who was uh, dealing with the carriage and like helping uh, take things in. Uh, where did that person get off to? Well, he put your luggage uh, just inside the foyer and then he left. Oh, that doesn't seem right. This is an improperly run house. Like you have a lot of experience with that? When our cousins came over, you know how it was. But you know what? I, we're no stranger to work. I go over and I grab the lantern. Okay. Um, and are there... Did you say that there were torches that were dimmed or not lit? Uh, there are no torches. You just have the one gas lamp. Just the one gas lamp. Okay. Um, so with that, I am going to take the lamp... And I'd imagine that our room as like in the master bedroom would be up. I guess I wouldn't know yeah, about upstairs, we, right? We haven't, we've never been in a house this big. Are there stairs like in front of us? As you go further into the hallway, there are doors to your left and your right. And in front of you is a staircase. It goes up and at the top of the flight uh, is a little landing. And you're pretty sure, because the light outside now is really dim, that, that storm's starting to kind of kick up. There's a stained glass window, and then the stairs go to the left. So you can either look through or try to open one of the doors down here, or you can go upstairs. I think I would try one of the doors downstairs first, because he's got to see if somebody else is in this home and knows what the deal is. So I think the Fidel, you know, walks over a little bit unsteadily because of her tight shoes and picks up the gas lantern, shines it out in front of her as she uh, walks as briskly as she can towards uh, the first door. What does the key you choose look like? She takes out the key ring and mm -hmm. the key ring, it's not full of identical keys. Each key is unique and different and a little bit elaborate. So the, the one that she grabs has very unique teeth to it. It sort of like forks out in three different prongs that each have their own diabolical looking <laughs> mesh of uh, different jutting bits of metal. But it fits uh, perfectly into the lock as she turns it to open the door. And what does the top of it look like? Uh, the top of it is silver. It looks like the outside of a very ornate mirror um a lot of like ribbons and baubles all right you see that the door you've chosen matches that key you put the key in the lock you turn the key you open the door and you go inside 
the door closes behind you. You are now in a room and you cannot leave unless you make an exit move. We have the lantern, right? Yeah. So by shining the lantern out in front of me, what does this room look like? This room, as you shine your lantern around, the first thing that strikes you is this heavy smell of powder and incense and perfumes layered over each other. And as you swing the light around in front of you, you see a ornate velvet couch. Next to it is a low table with a drawer. And all of the walls seem to be covered in satin. It shines green in your lamp, in your, the light of your lantern. And the carpet on the floor, as you step on it, it makes your heels wobble more. It's so thick and it has a pattern woven into it. There's something about this room that makes you look up and you realize that the ceiling is much taller than any of the rooms in your house. It's tall enough that your lantern doesn't fully reveal what's up there, but there are either tiles or a painting. You're not quite sure. Now, there are some windows in this room, and you can hear the rain hitting them. At this point, if you'd like, you can investigate one of the objects in the room. I think um, walking a little bit unsteadily on the carpet, really trying to keep her composure in these heels, even though the floor does not support them at all. You could just take them off. Mm -hmm. We can sit down right here and just take them off. We're not taking them off. Well, there's no reason to sit down. There's a lot to explore, but you could take them off. I like them. You're making us look foolish. We're going to look foolish wearing shoes like this so long as we're not familiar with it. Take some time to adjust, and you'll see that one day we'll be gracefully flitting about here and there. Uh, she takes the lantern, her face looking confident, even though her steps are not, and she heads over to uh, the table with the drawer, um, and she bends down to inspect it. You can ask me two questions from the list, and normally how I play this is you ask the first question, I will answer it, and then you can ask the second one. What about this item is odd or uncanny? The cabinet itself is made out of exotic woods that feel almost soft to the touch, and the drawer slides out without a sound. Inside is something wrapped in a cloth. As you unwrap it, it gleams in the light. You have found a silver hand mirror. It's very ornate. It's very heavy. And as you pull it out of the drawer, you feel a warm breath on the back of your neck. Do you turn around? So this is this is where uh, the fatale tries to play her part. Instead of reacting suddenly she draws herself to her full height and looks at herself in the mirror preparing to meet uh, what she imagines to be her new servant and tries to get a glance at what they might look like in the mirror so as you look in the mirror and you see behind you there is no one there but the mirror that you're looking into it's not showing you 
It shows you as you wish you could be. So uh, she looks very proud and confident. Um, uh, any stray hairs that like she could feel hanging down her face have been pulled back um, into, you know, the the uh, wrap of ribbons in her hair. Her makeup is perfect. The lips that were dried and cracked when she was uh, working outside practicing her needlepoint are now very moist and full. Her cheeks are rosy and her eyes, most importantly, are sharp and focused. What is your second question? Whose item is this? As you look in the mirror, you can see there's a little glimmer of light behind you. And whenever you look at it, you realize that one of the satin coverings on the wall has slipped a little and there must be a mirror behind that. So you cross to that and push aside the curtain and there is another woman standing there in the glass. She is a little bit taller than you. Her figure is a little better. Her hair is a little richer. And she is smiling at you. Who might you be? I didn't hear anyone else and this is a mirror. She doesn't ever stop smiling. Her smile gets wider. And she seems to be leaning closer to the mirror. So, um, let me know if this fits, how this is supposed to work. Sure. Uh, as we get closer and we're, you know, comparing ourselves to this woman in the mirror, Mm -hmm. we start like touching our own like face and hair and like feeling how, even though what we, and feeling that even though how, when we looked in the mirror, everything was perfect, we can feel the hairs that are stray and, you know, the, the makeup that's not quite, like, kind of runny and, and kind of gross after the whole day and everything. Uh, as I like to read this emotionally charged situation and as we, like, do, like, a, a body check of, like, all of our, all the things we don't like about ourselves, right? Like, pudge and <laughs> weird little bumps on our elbows and stuff. Looking at this perfect, you know, put-together woman. All, in this our, all of our calluses. Yeah. Are we going to reveal... A fear to them? Yeah, so I think revealing a vulnerability of like this like kind of body image we are clearly imperfect and don't deserve to be here, kind of. Interesting. What is your first question you get to? Mm-hmm. What desires drive this situation? Beauty is pain. And you realize that's what she's mouthing as she watches you. Start like rubbing the makeup off her face. What are you doing? Backing away. As you back away, there's this hiss, and all of the curtains on the walls slither down, and they're all full of mirrors. And she's in every single one of them. There's no room for you. But how can the bride end up on top of this? (laughs) (laughs) You can make yourself better. We're not strangers to pain, and uh, we're beautiful. What's important is that we're here now. Whatever this is, is in the mirrors. And she steps out, all of her. And you can hear the padding of her bare feet. She's wearing the same wedding dress as you are. It fits her better. And all of her walk closer and she's still smiling, padding over the carpet. We get to ask the two others. 
I already spent my things for the yeah we we had for re- uh, for reading a situation the mm-hmm. what desires and the how can we end up on top of the situation yeah okay okay cool yeah so as she gets closer yeah she begins to reach out and everywhere you touched yourself that you don't like she starts touching you but when she touches you it hurts and she's pulling at your hair and she's pinching your hips. And she's still just smiling at you. And she starts pushing you back towards the couch. And now she's all around you. All right, I'm going <laughs> to... We're taking a trauma. <laughs> um, it's like... I'm trying to think... I don't know. I don't have a good good pithy one-liner here. Uh, <laughs> no, so we just like... As she's pushing us back towards the couch... Just throw up our hands. Say, uh, we have our own beauty. We don't know you, we don't need yours. Leave us alone. Or leave me alone. Something out loud. I'm giving a direct warning to this NPC. And so she stops smiling and one of her says, we could fix your features and all of the mirrors shatter and they turn from you for the moment to go pick up shards of glass. But they've let you go. Mm-hmm. What would you like to do? Do you want to continue exploring? I wish I hadn't gotten the first ring because Ooh. I have no idea what to do. <laughs> well, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Pretty much in this... I'm sorry, please go ahead. Oh, uh, no. So I was just going to say, so like we can all we can all do the moves except for the ring bearer. Who can do the ring moves? Right? right, right. You can all do any of the maiden moves at any time. Right. You can also do the ring moves since you have the ring, mm-hmm. uh, and then you can do any of your burden, or you can use your burden at any time. Right, which is what I did. Yeah. So if you wanted to do something that only you can do, like we can continue to explore, but you, uh, you can caress the horror, which is like dealing with it. Or, you know, you can be, be violent in some capacity. All right, call, call for help. Or to, to get out of the room, then yeah, we Yeah, can need I propose to, a truth? Yeah, then you have to propose a truth. Okay. I mean, do you feel you know what happened in this room? Because she has a lot more to show you. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how any of that works. No, totally. That's why. So that's the, we have something that's supernatural happening. This hasn't happened to us before in our life, correct? I don't know, has it? Ah, interesting. I mean, it is the witch asking that question. Well, I think we've wanted it to. Well, I'd like to investigate a mysterious object. So you're going to ignore the woman who now has shards of glass and is coming back to you? Uh, no, I was planning to look into the shards of glass. Because uh, the last I checked, mirrors don't just shatter randomly, uh, all of the things in a room. I like this. What's your first question? I want to know what memories does this item hold? So... All of them have picked up shards of glass. And oh, all of them stepped out of the mirrors? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. So about four of them on their way back to you. But the rest of them have all gathered around one. And she's holding mirror shards in both hands. And she is kneeling there and not resisting at all as the other selves begin to use the shards of mirror to reflect back into her eyes. Mm. And they start to take the edges and they start cutting 
at her face. It looks like they're cutting away part of her cheek. And you can see reflected in the mirrors her doing this over and over again. Why did Bluebeard keep this item? In the reflection, where she's she's kneeling in, a, in all the blood, you can see him watching, and he's smiling. Well, heroes, that's it for One Shot this week. But don't worry, we'll be back with some more truly terrifying romance next week. If you're looking to have some fun to scare away those heebie-jeebies, why not try Noisy Person Cards? The party game developed by myself and Cat Cool to help you develop new character voices to use at the table. You can find more information at paracosmpress.com slash npc. That's P-A-R-A-C-O-S-M press dot com slash NPC. If you're looking to hear more from me and Kat, be sure to check out our appearance on the War Rocket Ajax podcast this Monday. And if you want to hear more from me, I should be on the Politicked Off podcast on Peaches and Hot Sauce this Monday as well. One Shot is a proud partner in the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you're a Chicago-based advertiser looking to reach an engaged Chicago audience, be sure to contact the co-op about advertising opportunities. And if you're a listener who wants to find a new podcast, check out Random Conversations. Random Conversations. Learn, be entertained, and live vicariously through the lives of other people. As always, a big thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend about the show. You can also leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show. If you want to hear more from the show, be sure to follow us on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod. Check out our Tumblr at OneShotPodcast.tumblr.com. Check out our Google Plus community. Or look for news on the site at oneshotpodcast.com. If you're looking to inquire about advertising rates, live appearances, and commissioning episodes, or you have a question or comment about something you heard on the show, contact us at gamemaster at oneshotpodcast.com. One Shot is a joint production between Peaches and Hot Sauce and Paracosm Press. Peaches and Hot Sauce is a Chicago-based comedy network with tons of great podcasts, videos, and live shows for you to check out at peachesandhotsauce.com. Finally, that music, which is right now swelling up over my voice, is Be Your Own Pet with Adventure, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes! Okay.